Welcome to this podcast, where you can hear some of the classic teachings of Father Rick Thomas, a Jesuit priest who died in 2006 and who spent his life preaching the gospel and serving the poor. Listen in to his wisdom, insights, and humor. These are the scripture passages we'll look at. Luke 12, 1-3, Matthew 22, 15-22. Matthew 23, verse 1, verse 5, verse 7 to 11, verse 25 to 28. Galatians 2, 11 to 14. Repeating those, it's Luke 12, 1 to 3, Matthew 22, 15 to 22. Matthew 23, verse 1, verse 5, verse 7 to 11, verses 25 to 28, and Galatians 2, 11 to 14. We're going to begin with Luke 12, 1 to 3. Meanwhile, a crowd of thousands had gathered, so dense that they were treading on one another. He began to speak first to his disciples, Be on guard against the yeast of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. There is nothing concealed that will not be revealed, nothing hidden that will not be made known. Everything you have said in the dark will be heard in the daylight. What you have whispered in locked rooms will be proclaimed from the rooftops. Let's look at verse... One, there is a crowd of thousands of people around Jesus, and they are so thick that they are stepping on one another. And at this point, Jesus is giving a teaching, and it says in the second part of verse 1, he began to speak first to his disciples. In other translations, translation that has he began to speak primarily to his disciples or he speaks first of all to his disciples which means he's going to speak to everybody but primarily first and first of all to his disciples now why would he choose in Luke's account to do this when there are thousands of people pressing around so dense that they're treading on one another because it is when there are people around the temptation to hypocrisy becomes greater and greater. The more the people, the more the temptation to hypocrisy. Now we will remember that hypocrisy is from the Greek drama, it means putting on a drama, putting on a play, putting on a mask, being an actor, acting. So when all these people are around, Jesus says primarily to his disciples, which means secondarily to other people, but primarily to his disciples, beware, be on guard against the yeast of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. Now, yeast is leaven. 
And this is what's used to make bread puff up. If you put yeast in the dough, then the dough puffs up and you have bread. If you don't put yeast or leaven in the dough, then it remains flat and not puffed up. And so he used the figure of speech of yeast. Be on guard against the yeast, that which puffs up, of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy or playing a part in a drama. In other words, pretending or pretense. Then he goes on to say in verse 2, there is nothing concealed that will not be revealed, nothing hidden that will not be made known. So your pretense, your hypocrisy will be discovered, will be made known. So don't do it. In verse 3, he repeats the same thing. Everything you've said in the dark will be heard in the daylight. What you've whispered in locked rooms will be proclaimed from the rooftops. It's just a matter of time. If not in this world, certainly in the next. And so avoid playing a part, avoid hypocrisy, avoid faking it, avoid lying because it's all going to be revealed. And the more people that are present, the greater the temptation will be to fake it, to be a hypocrite, to put on a show. Now, these words are directed primarily to his disciples. It's directed secondarily to non-disciples, but primarily to disciples. And Jesus directs it to disciples because he knows it's going to be a big temptation of his followers. And the followers of God, Yahweh, who lived at the same time as Jesus lived, were great actors. And they, because of their acting, because of their showing off, because of their hypocrisy, they could not receive Jesus, distinguish who he was, and it was these actors that crucified him, the religious leaders. And so Jesus says to his disciples, this will be a danger to you also. Beware. Be on your guard. Now, we're going to see uh, a good example of this in Matthew 22, 15 to 22. Then the Pharisees went off and began to plot how they might trap Jesus in speech. They sent their disciples to him accompanied by Herodian sympathizers who said, Teacher, we know you are a truthful man and teach God's way sincerely. You court no one's favor and do not act out of human respect. Give us your opinion then in this case. Is it lawful to pay tax to the emperor or not? Jesus recognized their bad faith and said to them, why are you trying to trip me up, you hypocrites? Show me the coin used for the tax. When they handed him a small Roman coin, he asked them, Whose head is this, and whose inscription? Caesar's, they replied. At that he said to them, Then give to Caesar what is Caesar's, but give to God what is God's. Taken aback by this reply, 
they went off and left him. Going back to verse 15, Then the Pharisees went off and began to plot how they might trap Jesus in speech. Now in the first reading, Jesus said, What you say behind locked doors will be made known. And so their plotting here will be made known because Jesus knows all about it and he's going to reveal it. He may not reveal it immediately, but he will reveal it someday. And so they plot together how can they trap Jesus. And part of their plot is we will send to Jesus people that are not well known. We won't go. We'll send our disciples that Jesus doesn't know. That's verse 16. They sent their disciples to him accompanied by Herodian sympathizers. Now, the Herodians believed in paying the tax to Caesar. And if Jesus says, don't pay the tax to Caesar, they will be alerted and they will have an an excuse to convict Jesus of, shall I say, treason or revolution or whatever because he is saying don't pay taxes to the Roman occupational forces and the Herodians believe that they should. Most of the Jews believe that they shouldn't. There were people in the crowd that was putting on this play to trap Jesus. If Jesus said, yes, pay it, he would be in bad light by those who said we shouldn't pay it. And if he says, don't pay the tax, those in favor of paying the tax will be against him. And so the plot is to trap Jesus. He's caught whether he says yes or no. And so they begin their speech in verse 16. Teacher, we know you are a truthful man and teach God's way sincerely. You court no man's favor and do not act out of human respect. Now this is flattery or soft soap to get Jesus all cranked up to answer their question. When they say, Teacher, we know you are a truthful man and teach God's way sincerely. Are they saying the truth or not? Do they believe it themselves? Now notice, they have trapped themselves by what they're saying. Their idea is to butter Jesus up and flatter him and get him ready to give an answer to fall into the trap. But they're falling into the trap by saying, we know you are a truthful man. Well, if he's a truthful man and he teaches God's way sincerely, they need to pay attention, listen, understand, and obey. So they're trapping themselves by what they're saying because they're not prepared to do what that means is if Jesus is truthful and if he teaches God's way sincerely, they should pay attention and obey. They go on, you court no, ma- no one's favor and do not act out of human respect. Give us your opinion then in this case. Is it lawful to pay tax to the emperor or not? If you say yes, some will be against you. If you say no, others will be against you. In verse 15, Jesus exposes their hypocrisy. And this is what he said in the first reading. Your hypocrisy 
will be exposed. Everything that you say, everything that you do, whether it's whispered, will be brought to light. And Jesus brings it to light now in verse 18. Jesus recognized their bad faith and said to them, Why are you trying to trip me up, you hypocrites? You're putting on a show. It's all fake. Show me the coin used for the tax. Now, they, if they had a coin, the only way they could have a coin was if they were going to pay the tax. This was not common currency. You couldn't take one of these things and buy your groceries. The coin was used to pay the tax only. And so if you had a coin, you were prepared to pay the tax. And you had to buy the coin from the Roman government. They sold you the coin. And with that coin, you paid the tax. They didn't accept anything to pay the tax but their coin. So if you had the coin, that's what you paid the tax with. If you didn't have the coin, you worked for them or you bought the coin from them. But they accepted only that coin. So Jesus said, show me the coin used for the tax. As soon as they showed the coin, they showed that they themselves are paying the tax. Otherwise, they wouldn't have the coin. When they handed him a small Roman coin, he asked them, whose head is this and whose inscription? Caesar's, they replied. That he said to them, give to Caesar what is Caesar's, but give to God what is God's. Now let's go on to the next chapter in Matthew, chapter 23, verse 1 and following. Now all of this is dealing with the hypocrisy of the scribes and Pharisees, but I'm not going to comment on all of it. I'm going to start with Matthew 23, verse 1. Then Jesus told the crowds and his disciples, He's telling everybody that there's a distinction between the crowd and his disciples. Then Jesus told the crowds and his disciples, The scribes and the Pharisees have succeeded Moses as teachers. Therefore do everything and observe everything they tell you, but do not follow their example. Their words are bold, but their deeds are few. They bind up heavy loads hard to carry to lay on other men's shoulders while they themselves will not lift a finger to budge them. Now, we're going through this uh, passage to find the symptoms of hypocrisy or the indications of hypocrisy because Jesus had warned, be on your guard against the yeast or the leaven of hypocrisy. And so now we're going to look at the symptoms or the indications of hypocrisy because it's going to be a threat to his disciples. It is a, it is a constant temptation. It's a constant threat. Now, the first symptom is in verse 5. At least the first symptom I want to look at is in verse 5. All their works are performed to be seen. That's the first symptom. Are these things done so that somebody will see me do it. That's the first symptom. That means we're putting on a show for somebody. All their works are performed to be seen. Now, as soon as we start doing something to be seen, to be heard, we're now hypocrites. 
We're not serving God. We're putting on a show for somebody. And that puts us in the show mode, not in the serving God mode. And the more people that are around, the greater the temptation to put on a show. And I think that's why people get stage fright, because there's more people looking at them. If they were talking to one person, it wouldn't be so bad, but now there's a bunch. And so I get frightened. Well, if I'm not going to put on a show, there's no reason to be frightened. Just do what you did with one person. So there's a thousand million of them. Who cares? I think the fright comes from the temptation to put on a show. I can't put on a show for a thousand people. I'm not sure that I'm a good show person, be that as it may. All their works are performed to be seen. Other translations, the Jerusalem Bible has everything they do is done to attract attention. The New English Bible, everything they do is for show. The Revised Standard has everything they do is to be seen by men. And today's English version, everything they do so people will see them. There's nothing wrong with doing things to be seen, and it's expected in some circumstances, and like in the circus. Everything done in the circus is to be seen, and so they put the spotlight on the tra trapeze artist when they want you to see the trapeze artist, and then they put the spotlight on the clowns when they want you to look at the clowns, and they put the spotlight on the lions when they want you to see the lions, and all these people are performing to be seen, and they are professional performers, and this is expected and fine. And so it will be in a play. You go to a play, the curtains open, and everything is done to be seen and heard. But this has no place in the service of God unless everybody knows it's a play. Everybody knows it's a play, then what I'm doing is to be seen and heard. If I'm not in a play, then there's no place for play acting or hypocrisy. And the great temptation, of course, of Jesus' disciples is, put on a nice show, how do I look? And, of course, this is a symptom, an indication of play acting or hypocrisy. Now, only I know my motives for doing things. Why am I doing this? Why am I saying this? Why am I wearing this? Only I know that. God knows it, of course, and it will be revealed. In verse 5 and a half, Jesus gives an example that was common then. They widen their phylacteries and wear huge tassels. The phylacteries were little, I don't know what to call them, little things that were either on their arms or on their foreheads that had particular verses of Scripture. And instead of wearing scapulars, they wore phylacteries. This comes from Exodus 13, verse 9 and 16. We're not going to look that up and Deuteronomy 6, 8. And so they had tassels on their robes as a sign that they were going to keep the law of Moses. And this tassel, of course, is what the woman with hemorrhage touched when she was cured. Uh, she said, if I touch the tassel on Jesus' robe, I'll be cured. And so they had the tassels sewed to the corners of their robes. Now, the religious show people had them bigger. They had bigger phylacteries hanging up here, 
on their arms, bigger tassels on their on their robes because they're more observant of the law than other people. So they got to have bigger tassels. Okay. So Jesus points that out. They widen their phylacteries and they wear huge tassels. This is very common among disciples and non-disciples. To give you some examples, a letter jacket. If I get play enough football, at the end of the season I'll get a letter jacket. And then they'll put all kind of patches on there. I'm all district champion this and so forth. And, and so this is to let everybody know I am a football player and a good one. And I, it's all for show. I have my letter jacket and it has all this on it. So I give it to my girlfriend and she is delighted to have it because she puts it on and now all the girls know that her boyfriend is all district offensive end or whatever I am. Okay, so people wear rings for show. At one time the king wore a ring and he sealed his documents with a ring and if he gave the person permission to seal his documents he'd give them the ring to seal the documents with. But now rings are for show. You know, I look at my ring, I graduated from UTEP. Or look at my ring, I graduated from Bowie. Or look at my ring, it cost $12,000. Did you ever see a stone that big? Well, I got a lot of money. And you can tell that by looking at my rings. I knew a gentleman who uh, traded livestock and he had a big diamond horseshoe ring on his finger was full of diamonds, a big horseshoe. And he wore it because so he could get credit. So he wanted to buy 50 head of cattle. He said, and if people see this big diamond ring on him, well, this guy's got money, we'll give him credit. And that's why he bought the ring. He might not have a dime in the bank, but he had a lot of diamonds on his ring. <clears throat> and people looking at that would say, the guy's got money so we can trust him to pay for this livestock that he wants to buy. In the military, people wear things on their chest. Why? To show off. And you go to high school where they got the ROTC, you got a sophomore, well he's got as much stuff on his chest as somebody at Fort Bliss has been in the military 25 years, been to Vietnam and Korea. This kid in, in high school will have just as many deals on his chest now what's all this? It's showing off, uh, pure and simple. But that's why people buy designer clothes, or if you're going to be in, you got this trademark on your clothes. All this is for showing off. It's not for covering your bare bones. It's just so that people will see your clothes and know that you've got money or you're in style or whatever it is. Why do people wear suit and tie? Well, it, they immediately put them in a class that other people don't belong in. And so when I go to, occasionally I go to uh, Dallas and they put me up in a fancy hotel at the airport. And when I go down to eat breakfast in the morning, everybody, at least all the males, are in coat and tie, except me. <laughs> what does the coat and tie say? The coat and tie is to show all, pure and simple. And so when somebody sees the coat and tie, they're in a different class and they'll be treated in a different way than if a guy comes in in overalls. But it's purely to show off. And a guy in overalls may be a better doctor, a better lawyer, or a better businessman. The guy in coat and tie may be bankrupt. But 
by the fact that he wears a coat and tie, it shows all. And it's common. You just think of anything at all, and there will be a lot of showing off in it. I mean, it's just part of all our culture, whatever you look at, the military, the school system, the banks, whatever it is, they'll be showing off. Okay, now, how does that apply to the disciples? Well, the disciples, they show off. They have a rosary. It's a better rosary, bigger rosary, or hanging out so they can see it. They got their scapular bigger or hanging out where somebody can see it, their medals, their, uh, their feathers, their swords, their habits, their crosses, their necklace, their carry their Bible, whatever it is. But they are showing off in many cases. And so if I'm going to where there's going to be religious people, I'll put on my religious attire. And if I'm going somewhere else, I'll put on some other kind of attire. Well, all this is pure showing off, uh, pure hypocrisy. And we need to recognize it. It is play-acting or hypocrisy, and that's what Jesus said, be on your guard against. And the Christians are full of it. The church is full of it. Now, it also goes to the vocabulary. When you're in a certain place, you use the right vocabulary that you don't use in some other place. And so you say the right words, and everybody thinks you're one of them, you know. And so when you're in a religious group, you say, glory I Dios, glory to God, hallelujah. Everything I say is for the honor and glory of God. Praise the Lord. Well, why am I saying praise the Lord? Do I really mean praise the Lord? Am I just saying something, or am I showing off so these people will think I'm real religious? Okay, Jesus said... Beware of the yeast of the Pharisees. And he said it primarily to his disciples. He knows the world is full of it. It's full of titles. You think of anything, and it got all kind of titles going with it. In the army, you've got private, well, I don't know if it's still the same, but it used to be private, first class, corporal, sergeant, staff sergeant, master sergeant, on up the ladder till we come to general, brigadier general, major general, and on up to full general, and uh, in everything there are the titles. So in the bank you've got 25 vice presidents, and then you've got the chairman of the board, and all this. So people love this. It's all showing off. And so people like the best seats, the reserve seats, the best cars, the best lodging, the streets named after them, and so forth. This is all showing off. And so we have uh, professors and doctors and chiefs and officers. And So I had to talk to, uh, I was locked in the jail in wards yesterday, and I wanted to come out, and there was the guy that had the key, and I was trying to think of the most honorific title I could uh, uh, use on this guy. And uh, instead of just saying, hey, guy, let me out of here, <laughs> I was trying to think of the best word, and, and two words came to my mind, oficial, and I wasn't sure whether that would cut it or not, so I just finally just said, Yavero, uh, key man. And uh, uh, that did the job, but he did let me out. But So if I'd have called him licenciado, ingeniero, duke, king, so forth. 
So we love these titles, Miss El Paso, Queen of the Football, whatever it is. And in religion, too, it's Father, it's Monsignor, it's Reverend Father, it's the Reverend Mother Superior, Prophet, Apostle Jones, Pastor, Senior Pastor Smith, Evangelist, Your Excellency, Elder, Deacon, Handmaid, Worshipful Master, and on and on and on and on. He said, avoid all that. Avoid that. Now, in verse 25, we're still, believe it or not, in Matthew 23. We're now down to verse 25 and 28. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, you frauds. That means fakes. You cleanse the outside of cup and dish and leave the inside filled with loot and lust. This is another symptom of hypocrisy. More interested in the outside than the inside. More interested in appearances than substance. And as I've given this example before, I'll give it again. How much time do people, when they prepare to go to church, how much time do they spend on their exterior? Fixing their hair, taking a bath, fixing their clothes, fixing this, fixing that. How many minutes does that take compared to how many minutes do they spend examining their conscience, asking forgiveness for their sins, praying? And God has no interest at all in their uh, cosmetics or their looks or their clothes or anything. Has no interest at all. He's interested in the interior. But the the uh, hypocrite is going to take care of the exterior first, and that's what Jesus is talking about in verse 25. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, you frauds! You cleanse the outside of cup and dish and leave the inside filled with loot and lust. And the dishes at lunch, it's not the underside of the plate that needs help. It's that where the food is, that's where the cleansing has to be done. And when you clean the glass, clean the inside, that's got more crud in it than the outside. But the hypocrites will clean the outside. If they can cover up the inside, that's fine. And that's the temptation. So the question is, how do I look, not how am I? And God is interested in how I am, not how I look. Everybody else wants to see how I look. God wants to see how I am. Now, finally, we're going to look at Galatians 2, 11 to 14. When Cephas came to Antioch, I directly withstood him because he was clearly in the wrong. He had been taking his meals with the Gentiles before others came who were from James. But when they arrived, he drew back to avoid trouble with those who were circumcised. The rest of the Jews joined in his dissembling, till even Barnabas was swept away by their pretense. As soon as I observed that they were not being straightforward about the truth of the gospel, I had this to say to Cephas in the presence of all. If you who are a Jew are living according to Gentile ways rather than Jewish, by what logic do you force the Gentiles to adopt, to adopt Jewish ways? Now, what's going on here? Well, we don't know exactly because we just have this little bit that Paul writes to the Galatians. Cephas, of course, is Peter. That's his Aramaic name. When Cephas came, when Peter came to Antioch, I directly withstood him because he was clearly in the wrong. So Paul is 
telling the Pope, Peter, you are a hypocrite. Peter had heard Jesus say, beware of the leaven of the scribes and Pharisees. But he had fallen into the trap that many people who are loyal to the Pope today fall into also, namely hypocrisy. Verse 12, Peter had been taking his meals with the Gentiles before others came who were from James. But when they arrived, he drew back to avoid causing trouble for those who are circumcised. So Peter knows that the Gentiles are as good as the Jews, that the Mosaic uh, traditions of the Pharisees and the leaders don't apply anymore, that Jews can now associate with Gentiles. They are all equal in the body of Christ, and Jews are not superior to anybody anymore. Peter knows that very well, and he's eating with Gentiles every day, having pork chops and all kinds of things that are forbidden to the Jews. He's eating in their homes. He's, he likes chorizo and sausage and all that, and lobster and things that were forbidden to him before. Now the Jews who have become Christians come to Antioch, and Peter says, they'll see me eating pork chops and going into the Gentiles' homes, and they'll report it back or whatever. So out of fear, he pretends now that he can't eat with the Gentiles, and what he was doing before, he now stops which is hypocrisy. At least that's Paul's interpretation of it. Other people, this passage is not totally clear by any means. I'm giving you one interpretation. But from Paul's point of view, it's hypocrisy. In verse 12 and a half, but when these people from James, that is, from Jerusalem, arrived, Peter drew back to avoid trouble with those who were circumcised. Now everybody joins Uh, Peter now. He's the Pope and he's withdrawing, so we'll withdraw. We'll all get into the same old hypocrisy. The rest of the Jews joined in his dissembling till even Barnabas, my companion, was swept away by their pretense. Notice the word pretense. They're faking it. They're putting on a show. Verse 14, as soon as I observed that they were not being straightforward about the truth of the gospel, I had this to say to Cephas in the presence of all. If you who are a Jew are living according to Gentile ways rather than Jewish, by what logic do you force the Gentiles to adopt Jewish ways? In other words, he's saying, why be a hypocrite? You used to eat with them, and you know it's all right to eat with them, so why quit eating with them? Because these guys are here watching. And uh, Peter might answer. We don't know what answer Peter gave. We don't know what happened before or after this thing that Paul writes about. Peter might say, well... I didn't want to shock them too much. But in any case, it was pretense. In any case, it was hypocrisy. In any case, it was saying that we shouldn't do it, when in fact, we should do it. We should eat with them. They're equal to the Jews. I'm a Jew, but now that Jesus has died on the cross and risen from the dead, we're all saved by faith in Jesus. The the Gentiles are equal to us in God's sight. We should eat with them. That's the truth. But because he's, I'm afraid what these guys are going to say or think, so we'll put on a little play acting for them here. And so the temptation is to do things to be seen by people rather than to do it for God alone.
my wife and I just went to a nice hotel for one night for our anniversary. And while I was there, I found myself looking and envying the watches that the men had and the cars that they drove and the clothes that they wore and the polo shirts and uh, all the designers' clothes. And uh, I just found myself envious of all that stuff. And then later on I was sharing with Ellen about that and Marianne, and we said, but it's all, as Father said, it's all exterior. It doesn't appear that people are concerned about their souls. And I was just grateful that I was living in community and receiving teachings and getting help from my brothers and sisters because I realized that if I wasn't there, I would slide down this slippery slope of hypocrisy so fast that within a year I don't think I would recognize myself or any of you would recognize me. I was there. I was there with the world. I was one of those who loved wearing the three-piece suits, the nice ties, being with the corporate heads, playing golf at uh, all the nice country clubs in the southwest and the east, doing what the world does and what the world loves to do. But you don't see any of that, and you don't feel any of that until you finally listen to Jesus' call. And, when, and he calls you all the time. He calls everybody all the time. It's just that we don't listen. But when we, when we finally listen, then we see that coat and tie doesn't mean anything. That golf outing, being with the people, the watches, the rings, the shoes, the clothes, the houses, the cars means nothing anymore. It's where you can turn around and look at people and look at their hearts and not their clothes. Look at their hearts and not their hairstyle. Yes, I try to clean the outside all the time. I clean the dish on the outside and I clean the cup on the outside. But I could care less before about cleaning the inside of that cup. And I thank Jesus for the grace for allowing to hear him, his voice say, come to me, so we can clean the inside of that cup. You know, Father, earlier you mentioned how hypocrisy can also be in our language. I remember living back in Phoenix and going to the retreats there in Scottsdale, how I, um, when I hung around with the rich people, how I, um, my vocabulary changed and I became very articulate with the way I sounded and I used gigantic words to express myself. But then when I hung around with the youth, my vocabulary changed, even my stance changed, and my, my clothes changed. And instead of talking to them, the way I talk with the rich people, I would say, Ese, que paso? Hey, homeboy, vamos pa' acá. So I was a hypocrite then. I just saw that. I was recalling a passage in scripture where uh, it says, I became all things to all people. I became a Gentile to the Gentiles and whatever. And I was just thinking about how that fits in with play acting and hypocrisy. I think about how sidewalk counselors have to uh, dress in <clears throat> nice clothes so that the uh, women going into the abortion mill will recognize them and not brush them off. And it's for the sake of, of the children, the uh, in the mother's wombs that they do that? This is a very good question. I think we need to make a distinction of uh, why we do things. And in the whole missionary effort of the church from the beginning has been to enculturate or incarnate with the people trying to be evangelized. And uh, Jesus himself 
did this. He, he's God the Son, the Creator, and He takes uh, on a human body and does such a good job that no one suspects that He's Yahweh. And He does this so that He can bring the good news to us. Now, His motive in doing this was to serve His Father, not to show off. But he <clears throat> incarnated himself, he enculturated himself, and used the language, the customs, the food, everything that the people of his day used, and so he was accepted as one of them. The Virgin Mary does this in her apparitions around the world. When she goes to Juan Diego, she speaks the language of the Indians. And so uh, when she leaves her image on the tilma, it is a a painting or a drawing or whatever it is that they will understand in their idiom. Those symbols mean something to her. Now, she didn't wear that in uh, Galilee, and she didn't wear it when she went to uh, appear to Bernadette in France. So she adapts herself to the language and the culture of the people where she appears. And Jesus does the same thing in the Eucharist. He hides himself and comes in what appears to be uh, bread and wine. So that is a certainly acceptable. We have examples of Jesus and Mary. You can hardly beat that. Uh, and Paul says, I become all things to all men to win all. And so if we're going to win people, we have to speak their language. We can't and we have to enter their idiom and their culture. Well, that's quite a different motivation than to show off. And, what, and of course, there's a lot of things that we, we should fake it. If we're having a drama, you're expected to fake it. If you're supposed to be Goliath in the drama, then you're supposed to fake it and be Goliath. If you take the part of David, then you're supposed to take the part of David in the drama. And the better you can fake it, the better the drama is. And so that's expected. The problem comes up when it is a religious drama that's not so announced as a religious drama. And people don't know that, it's a, that you're faking it. There's where the problem, and they think this is genuine. They think you're genuinely praying. And what you're doing, you're faking it and thinking about fried eggs. You're not praying at all. But you're faking praying it. There's a problem when you fake God's Word and you pretend you're serving God when you're just faking it. I'm not serving God at all here. I'm faking it so you guys will think I'm holy. That's where the problem comes in. When you fake it to appear to be what you're not. Of course, deception is used all the time in uh, sports. You know, we fake we're going to go around left end and we go around right end. And it's used in basketball, it's used in baseball, it's used in all sports. And uh, it's expected. But when you get on the football field, you know that the other team is going to fake you out. And that's what a screen pass is. They fake them out. And they, you're supposed to be on your guard for the fake. The problem is, in religion, we don't tell people we're faking. We just fake right on and never tell anybody, and they, if they have any discernment, know something is phony. 
and then so we're handing off counterfeits and we're counterfeiting what God would like to be genuine there's the problem but uh, in, the, in the example of Peter here he was in Antioch Gentile Christian so he behaved like a Gentile which he should because they're equal to Jews now with the coming of Jesus but now when the Jews come who don't believe that they're equal and he begins to fake all and he's not being straightforward as Paul says you're not being straightforward the truth is they're equal so let's treat them equal well they, they won't appreciate that so I'm going to fake it there's the problem Every day we wash dishes, and I guess what happened to Peter that day, he washed the outside and just barely the inside where he drinks. Because uh, you were sharing that if if you weren't for community, you don't know where you'd be. We have a lot of people in community, and uh, they just wash the outside. They wash the inside clean, like Father says, they pray beautiful. And they just wash the inside, and the world gets the best of us. And uh, community is very strong, but... It's what you give to community. And when we surrender all of the inside of the cup, as well as the outside, community is to share, but Jesus is to surrender everything to him so that, that he can keep filling the cup, not just to where it's clean, but clean it all the way in. And that's what happens to a lot of us. We keep getting frustrated. Where are all these people that pray? That during retreats, they come out and they've got their big band. And the big fancy prayers, boy, they pray beautifully. But when it comes down to walking the walk, to, to going to the abortion clinics, they say, I haven't been called to that. <laughs> so some of us tend to, sometimes the world gets the best of us, and we, we clean the outside real good, and then we just have time just to clean the top, just so that we can drink carefully. And we need to really clean the whole cup. End of this tape. Thank you for listening. To learn more about Father Thomas, go to fatherrickthomas.com. God bless you and have a beautiful day.